I welcome everyone. I wish you a very Merry Christmas and uh, looking forward to our celebration over the next couple of days of the incarnation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a blessing to be able to worship with you today as we consider some of those things more more um, specifically than we typically do during the rest of the year. So uh, with that, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 25 through 35. Luke chapter 2, 25 to 35. Though this uh, passage does get some uh, mention from time to time uh, during this season of the year, it's not one that we usually go to. Usually this time of year we're thinking about shepherds and and, uh, the day of the birth of Christ and the wise men and that sort of thing. Uh, This takes uh, place uh, a little bit later, a few days later after the birth. And so uh, it's well worth taking a look at now. So Luke 2, 25 through 35. Standing with me, please, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. One of my favorite places to be is the Oregon coast. One of my favorite things to do there is storm watching. Maybe some of you enjoy that sort of thing too. Now, depending on the conditions, sometimes the watching is right on the beach in the middle of the wind and the rain. Uh, it's pretty exhilarating. And then there are other times uh, it's from the less adventurous comfort <laughs> inside looking out the windows at the, uh, at the rain beating uh, on the windows out there and, and uh, longing for being out there again. But, you know, for, for many people in this world, That latter option, being inside and looking out through the windows, uh, is characteristic of their general approach to life. Sitting inside without effort, waiting for something to happen so that they can feel like they're in the middle of it, even when they're really not. Now the man that we're going to meet today, 
This man from Jerusalem named Simeon, he's different. He was certainly waiting for something to happen. But he was actively engaged in the Lord's service while he waited. He was already part of this. Part of this, the most significant event to yet occur in history. And when it came upon him, he was ready. And what he says here by the prompting of the Holy Spirit is something uh, that we can all learn from. Now this passage is, is still pretty well known, perhaps not as much as the shepherd's passages as we mentioned earlier, but it is deeper than it seems. Because here in Simeon's words is a further confirmation that Jesus is the Christ. Here is the clear anticipation of Jesus' words that this was not done in a corner. Because God provided witnesses from the very earliest moments of Christ's life. In fact, even just before uh, he came into this world. God provided witnesses to establish his identity to those in the nation who were ready to receive God's salvation. And those witnesses speak to us as well, that Jesus truly is the promised Messiah. So let's begin by taking a look at Simeon himself. So the Lord chooses a witness, this man in Jerusalem. We're told nothing about him as far as his background, his status, his employment. He was in the temple. Uh, some have suggested that he may be a priest. Uh, that's a possibility, but it's not necessary. There were many who were not priests, who were very devout, who were constantly worshiping in the temple. And it seems to my mind that that's probably uh, the case here. He's a man in Jerusalem. A man who, uh, from any other standpoint, would really not necessarily be all that remarkable or different, except there was the, the remarkable statement that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Take a look at the description that we have here in verses 25 through 28. He is righteous. He is just, is uh, the word behind that. He's a man who fears the Lord and walks according to the Lord's law. It says that he is uh, that he was devout. So he's just and he's devout. He walks according to the law and he does so fervently. He comes to worship with zeal and with joy and with dedication. And notice also there in verse 25, it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's faithfully watching, faithfully uh, standing in readiness as he's worshiping God regularly, as he's serving the Lord in his house. He's watching, he's waiting, he's expecting something to take place. Now he's expecting it, I think, for two different reasons. One, as we read here, that it had been revealed to him that he was going to see the Christ at some point before he died. Can you imagine 
Can you imagine having that kind of promise? Some of us are a little closer to that date than others. But can you imagine living every day with the expectation that today might be the day that I see the Messiah? And that's how Simeon lived. I believe that's why he was in the temple. He was in the place where he expected God to be. And he's watching for the consolation of Israel. Interesting word there. Um, it comes from the same word that we get uh, that description of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. It's paraclete. Some of you have probably heard that Greek word. But that's what's behind this. The one who comes alongside. He's watching for the literally the comfort or the comforter of Israel. And while usually the paraclete... That term is usually applied to the Holy Spirit and his ministry of consolation. Here it's applied to the Messiah. And I think uh, particularly because of the prominence of the Holy Spirit in this particular passage, I think it's suggestive as well of the Spirit of God's work that comes alongside in revealing that comforter, enabling and strengthening that comforter, and opening up the heart's of God's people to that comforter. So Simeon is, is watching very faithfully from day to day as he walks in, in honor and integrity according to God's word in a devout and fervent fashion. I want to stop there for a minute before I go on to the next point. When we can look at this description... Would anybody here like to have those words describe you? I sure would. I hope that's the case. That I'm just or righteous, I'm devout, and I'm waiting every day with the expectation that at some point I am going to see the deliverance of my God. It would, would that change your life? Would that change the way that you live? If you really take that into account, if you're really thinking about it, I believe it would. It should. And yet Simeon is just a man in Jerusalem. This is not a description of a super Christian. This is not a description of somebody who, you know, is a cut above the rest of us. And I'm sure glad there's some of those out there so that I can muck along doing my thing. He's just a man in Jerusalem. He's a man whom God has chosen to be a witness to the reality of Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, the Messiah, the Comforter of Israel. And in fact, Simeon, if you think about it, is just one of many witnesses that we see in the Scriptures from throughout the centuries. of Those who would be looking forward and some who are looking back upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his reality. You see, really the point of this whole message today, that if, if you get nothing else out of this today, is that God has given you enough evidence, enough witnesses from every corner, from every strata, from every possible angle, that you can know for certain who the Messiah is. 
There's no excuse. There was no excuse for Israel in that day. There's no excuse for us. Just because some great and glorious, uh, you know, um, super being doesn't come floating down on a cloud and say, Len, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, now I can believe. He's given me, and certainly there have been angelic witnesses, but there have been also just a man in Jerusalem. And you, brothers and sisters, are just a man, just a woman, just a boy, just a girl in Bonner's Ferry. And if you're in Christ, you serve as a witness to the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, just like Simeon. Isn't that cool? It's also a responsibility and a weight, isn't it? And with that responsibility and weight, let that sink in a moment. How well are you doing with that? And wouldn't you like to do a better job? I'm thankful that this passage doesn't end with just talking about Simeon as being a great guy. What enables Simeon to be a witness that counts for something is what that last phrase we see there in verse 25. That the Holy Spirit dwelt upon him. This is pretty cool. Because in our largely, in the evangelical world, dispensationalist viewpoint, Spirit of God didn't do anything before a Pentecost. In spite of the fact that the Old Testament is filled with <laughs> accounts of the Holy Spirit doing lots of stuff. Um, this is a pre-Pentecost filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's filling Him with power to be connected with the Lord and receive revelation from the Lord and be able to express it clearly from the Lord because the Spirit of God was upon him. The difference, of course, in the Old Testament is that the Spirit's activity was less consistently obvious and recorded in the lives of believers in the Old Testament. But it doesn't mean he wasn't active. In fact, he was very active from from day one, if you recall, as the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters and it goes on from there. Simeon was as much a believer as you and me. It's just that his faith was anticipatory, in accordance with God's Word, whereas ours looks back uh, upon that first coming. And as the Spirit dwelt upon him and gave him a mind that was ready and a mind that was able to see and a mind that was able to, to, uh, to recognize the Messiah when he came, the Spirit's work was not simply at one point in time he kind of flipped a switch on and then left. The Spirit communed with him you look at verse uh, 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen 
the Lord's Christ. And then when you look at the revelation itself, as he blesses God and prays and then, and then begins to, to tell Mary and Joseph what this child was going to do, why he was there, and what was going to occur, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit is not just, again, just gave him a word at some point down the road and, and left him to deal with the rest of it on his own. I mean, the Spirit of God at that moment was working through Simeon to make this, this prophecy regarding this child, the Lord Jesus. So, as the Spirit of God communed with him, we might ask, well, why Simeon? Was he any better than anybody else of the day? No, we, were reading, we read of others. Well, right after this, um, we have the, the, uh, the lady Anna, who serves in the temple, and she rejoiced because she too recognized the Messiah. There were others around uh, that had uh, that same experience. Now the focus is upon the Spirit's work here. Which ought to be an encouragement to you and me when we think about the weight of our obligation to witness to who Christ is and to call a fallen world to repentance and submission before their king. You're not better than anybody else. I'm not better than anybody else. The only re reason that we can do this at all is because the Spirit of God communes with us, dwells with us, encourages us, strengthens us, guides our thinking, calls things to remembrance that we need at the time. And Simeon uh, clearly is in that same, that same condition as we are. But why would God reveal this to him ahead of time? I mean, you can think about the shepherds. Right? They, they, got some, they got some news ahead of time that they were to, to go in. Why? But Simeon had gotten this way before. <laughs> Apparently, it doesn't give us a time, but uh, long enough that you, you get the, the feel from the story is that he is... He's been waiting a while because it had been revealed to him by the Spirit of God that he would see the Christ. Well, I would say that the answer to this question is part of strengthening the witness. Because what the Lord does, if you look at the whole picture, he's weaving all this stuff together. He's weaving, weaving the prophecies concerning the Messiah from the Old Testament all together. He is, he is preparing the way. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But he's preparing the way for the uh, re revelation of the Messiah and to take away from uh, any who might be tempted to ignore it the excuse that they didn't know, that it wasn't clear. The Lord just weaves all these things together and he laid it, laid it out ahead of time. I would be rather surprised, though I suppose it's possible that, that uh, Simeon never told anybody about what the Spirit of God had revealed to him that he was going to see it. But I know for me, I would have a hard time keeping that to myself if I had that revelation. Say, oh, 
I'm thinking, I, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I, uh, I, I'd want to at least tell my closest friends and family that something was, something was about to happen. Not sure when, but uh, to be convinced of that uh, would be awfully hard to keep it silent. But nonetheless, when this thing took place, Simeon, he was ready. He saw everything come together as the Lord Jesus came into his presence. And then also asking the question, why was seeing Christ as a child so significant? The, the Spirit of God could have said, you know, you'll, you'll see the Messiah as an adult, revealed, see him on the cross, see, you know, some other thing. But as a child, he's going to see the Lord's Christ. And that's the way the Lord brought it about. Well, it fulfills more prophecy, doesn't it? It's more weaving together of things. Isaiah 14. May, I won't ask you anybody to quote it, but hopefully you know. A virgin shall be with child and will bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that would come about. And I would pretty, I'd be, I think I'd be pretty safe in assuming that Simeon knew that prophecy and that's what he was looking for and here's the point the fact is that the choosing of Simeon is the work of the spirit uh, the spirit continues to be involved in every aspect of Christ's incarnation his conception his protection the establishment of his identity as the son of God and the spirit's work is to point to the Savior and God simply chose someone who pleased him for his own reasons. The choice was God's, and it brought him glory. Simeon demonstrated the perfections of God in his life, justice and devotion and faithfulness, all by the work of the Spirit who was upon him. He was just a man of Jerusalem, but he was God's man. And being in the way, the Lord led him. And we see this in verses 27 and 28 uh, come to fruition as the Spirit of God leads him to meet the Savior. This is beautiful. He came in the Spirit into the temple. This is more of that, just he's communing with the Spirit on a daily basis. The promptings of the Spirit in his heart, I need to be in the temple today. And so he was. And the Spirit led him into the place of the event. Comes to the temple. And when the parents bring in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, this is circumcision on the eighth day and a presentation of the oldest son to uh, the Lord as required by the law. Simeon was there and saw them come in. Now, some have thought that because he ends up holding him, that he must have been one of the priests and, and, and all of that. But I, to my mind, I think their response is more significant if he's not a priest. If he's a priest, they're kind of expecting to be approached by a priest, and they're kind of expecting some blessing from God. But this... It, plus there's a content of it, but 
just the fact that Simeon does this, the, the parents are rather flabbergasted by all of this. As he comes, as, as he's there at the place of the event, following the Spirit's promptings, not only is he led to the place, he's led into the very heart of this event to see the significance of this. The revelation that Simeon had been given before that he would see the, the Lord's Christ before he died, that revelation is fulfilled. And Simeon doesn't just see the Christ, he holds the Christ. <sighs> Remarkable. Absolutely incredible. I can only imagine what was going on in Simeon's heart. How would you contain your elation and your praise and your wonder? I don't know. But as the Spirit continues to lead him, Simeon then opens his mouth and makes some incredible declarations concerning this Messiah. And here we come to what this whole scenario is all about. Again, taking just an ordinary witness, filled with the Spirit, and declaring, this is the Christ, this is who He is, this is what he will do, and this is the impact it's going, to, it's going to have upon you and indeed upon the entire nation. Simeon begins in his witness by speaking of God's faithfulness. And this is in verses 29 to 32. He praises the Lord for his faithfulness to his word, to his promise there in verse 29, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon knew his prophecy. He knew the one that had been made to him, but he also knew prior prophecies concerning the Messiah. He knew what he was waiting for. Um, by the way, uh, this word here, we're used to thinking of word when we see that in the New Testament as a translation of the word logos. But that's not the word here. Logos emphasizes content. This is the word rhema. Rhema emphasizes function or how the word is used. In other words, in this case, the prophecy. It says, according to your prophecy, according to what you said before, well, I know that you are faithful. And now I've seen your word come to pass. And he recognizes in that word that this wasn't just about rewarding Simeon for being such a great guy by letting him see the, the Messiah. What he is recognizing and praising God for here is the, the salvation that God has prepared for all peoples. And so in verse 30, it says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now, this, this 
uh, a plan of salvation that God has prepared is embodied in, fulfilled in, and carried out by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is salvation. But this is something that was prepared. This is a key term in this passage. And the reason it is goes back to this whole idea of witness and clarity about who Christ is. Not only was it not done in a corner, as Jesus would later say, uh, it wasn't done as, as a spur-of-the-moment reaction to, oh, well, my prior methods of saving people didn't work, so now I'm going to come up with something else. No, this is what's been prepared from before the foundation of the world. In, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse uh, 76, um, there's a prophecy, the prophecy of Zechariah regarding John the Baptist. We read there, And you, child, speaking of John, uh, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. It's the same verb for prepare. Simeon is not referring, though, to John the Baptist. I mean, John is still a child at this point, and he would dwell in the deserts anyway. Now, Simeon, hanging out at the temple, as he did, may very well have known of Zacharias. He may have been, who knows, he may have been present when Zacharias uttered his prophecy at, uh, at some time before. Don't know. But Simeon, having been watching intently, knew the signs. It's not out of the question that he had heard about the shepherd's experience. I mean, Bethlehem was only five miles away. And, uh, you know, they didn't have the internet and Facebook to post their pictures. But word of mouth was a pretty big thing because that's what they had. So he was expecting a child, a child that would grow to be the one who was the salvation of his people. But not only his people. It's clear that from what Simeon says here, that he recognizes that this salvation that's been prepared ahead of time is a light for revelation to the nations. We read in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now, Jews who were truly devout, they knew that God had always included the nations in his promises. Always. Those that were not devout wanted it all for themselves. But Jews who understood their role in the providence and plan of God recognized that they were channels, not the end recipients of the oracles of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks to this. Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 3, if you would. And then we're also going to look at uh, uh, chapter 9. 
Uh, just the first couple of verses of chapter 3, and then we'll jump over to chapter 9. Romans 3, 1, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And they were entrusted with it to declare it, uh, which uh, they uh, failed miserably at doing. Then over in Romans chapter 9, Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. This is verse 1. I am not lying. My conscience bears, um, uh, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Simeon recognized that, but he also recognized that this Savior was not just for the Jews. They were servants of the Most High God. They were stewards of these oracles, and they were to administer them and distribute them to the nations. Brother and sister, if you're in Christ, you're not just saved so that you can be glad that you're saved. You've been entrusted with the oracles. You've been entrusted with the the joy of being made one with heir, one uh, with Christ, heirs of Abraham, uh, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. And you and I must also declare and bear witness, just as Simeon did. Christ is salvation to, and a light to the Gentiles, and he is the glory of Israel, as it says there. We're back in, in Luke chapter 2. He's the glory, uh, uh, revealed for the glory to your people, Israel. Christ, as the one who is glorious, he demonstrated the perfections of God. Not only what a perfect man could be, but also what a perfect Israelite should be, what the perfect Messiah is. He's the king. The king was to be the best of the people. Of course, Israel's kings and every other king since and before uh, has always failed in that. But that's the ideal. And in fact, because that's the ideal, the Messiah is often spoken of in such a way that the, the Israelites, when they read some of the uh, prophets, got confused. They got to thinking of uh, passages that related to the Messiah as related only to them. And so that's one of the reasons why they struggled to receive Jesus because he didn't fit up to their, match up to their ideal. But take a look at Isaiah chapter 49 where a prophecy is given uh, concerning the servant of Yahweh. Now again, um, this is something that uh, uh, Israel often took to themselves and didn't think of it as the actual Messiah, particularly when it speaks of the sufferings of the servant. They didn't want to think of the Messiah as ever suffering. But let's read these first seven verses 
from Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. This is the, this is the servant speaking. And I think it's safe to say this is the Lord Jesus speaking. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and in his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with Yahweh and my recompense with my God. And now Yahweh says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, and my, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You think maybe Simeon had this verse in mind when he uttered what he did there in the temple? Very likely. Thus says Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of Yahweh who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. The Jews of the day that rejected their Savior were casting out the, perf the very perfections of God. They did not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. This is all about God's faithfulness to his promises and to his plan. But Simeon witnesses to some other things, particularly to the impact that Christ would have. Now, take a look back at verse uh, 33 of Luke 2. So after Simeon makes these declarations regarding God's faithfulness that are rather stunning, it says there in Luke 2.33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, this is not the first time that Joseph and Mary have heard that something is remarkable about their child. In fact, beyond remarkable, this is not the first time that they've been told that he's the chosen one that would deliver his people. So they knew. But perhaps the marveling that is here is in some, some degree about the affirmation of the things that have been said before. But the fact that some random guy walks up to them in the temple and knows all about this too, apparently. But this is eight days after Jesus has been born. How many people actually knew about all of those things? Shepherds, yeah, they, they did. Maybe a few other people that they had told. Again, maybe Simeon had some knowledge of what was happening because of this shepherd's uh, testimony, but um, Mary and Joseph wouldn't have known that. And so uh, this is a jaw-dropping, eye, 
eye-popping amazement moment. I mean, all the visit, all of the revelation that had taken place was to Mary and Joseph up to this point through angelic visitations. Of course, the Magi hadn't shown up yet. They wouldn't for another couple of years. So this is the fourth event that we have recorded, anyway, in a series of amazing events that are associated with establishing just who this child was. And, you know, we're told that Mary took things into her heart and considered them. Certainly, Joseph must have as well. And here again, it's being reiterated, this child is of God he is God's Redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's going to be the one that saves his people and indeed all the nations from their sins. But, okay, what's that going to look like? Is it going to be all, you know, rosy? Everything's going to be wonderful? And as he grows... People are just going to be lining the streets and giving them parades all the time. <laughs> is, that, is that what's going to happen? Simeon's next words are going to bear witness to the fact that that's exactly not what's going to happen. And yet gives as a, uh, by, by sort of preloading or pre, it's not warning them in the sense of you know, better behave, but just giving them a heads up about what's going to happen. Simeon witnesses to the impact of Christ because I'm sure that Mary and Joseph had to be wondering what the outcome of all these things would be. And so in verse uh, uh, 34, as Simeon blesses them, he says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. We'll get to that part in a moment. The fall and the rising of many. And we read these things rather glibly, I think, and, and don't stop to really think about what that, what the significance of that is. Let's make it personal to you parents, little <coughs> ones. Someone comes up to you and says, um, your child is is set for the fall and rising of many in the United States. What does that mean to you? It means that you're being told that your child is going to become a, if not the, pivotal person in the nation. That depending upon what a person thinks of that child, it will either be to their blessing or it will be to their ruin. That is what Simeon is telling them. And certainly we see that worked out um, for, uh, for many, just even in, the, even in the gospel accounts. There would be many that would follow Christ, that would come alongside. Of course, many would abandon him as well. But then, after the crucifixion, uh, many more came to a saving knowledge of him. But he was also the rock upon which when the wave of rebellion of, of sinful hearts broke upon him, scattering and ruining the fall of many others, disciples, you think, that he had 
some faithful, some not. The miracles that he performed, that for some was a means of bringing them to faith and others hardening their hearts against him. The crowds, the fickle crowds, on one moment that wanted to make him king because he gave them bread and fish, and another moment were crying out, crucify him. And many, many individuals, some when they started to understand what it really meant to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, said, no, this is too hard, I'm leaving. And they were out. But then there were others that said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. Christ is the pivotal figure of all history. That is what Simeon is telling them. And indeed, something like this uh, is behind the thoughts that we see in John chapter 11 where the uh, priest Caiaphas makes the prophecy that someone needed to die for the nation. And in the book of Daniel, the prophecy of the stone that's cut out without hands that would smash the images of the nations. The Lord Jesus Christ is that rock. He is the one with whom you and I have to deal and everyone else. And for some, he will be a stone of stumbling. For others, he will be the stone upon which our feet are established by his grace. That is what Simeon is saying regarding this little child. You see, this kind of carried out a little bit in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is speaking. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. This is uh, verse 49 of Luke 12. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Of course, he's not speaking of water baptism here. Uh, he's already been anointed by John the Baptist in the waters of the Jordan to serve as the high priest. So this is a different kind of baptism, a baptism by fire. He's speaking of his sufferings to come. He says, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. When you uh, hear the typical description of what Jesus is in the modern evangelical world, it's all about love and peace and harmony and going to bring everything together and boy we just need to all just join together and do all these wonderful things in the name of Jesus and really the question is what Jesus are you talking about because the Jesus of the scriptures did not come to bring peace and unity on this earth until the consummation of all things in the meantime he is there as the watershed the dividing point are you with me are you against me are you among the sheep are you among the goats So beware, not, not that we shouldn't desire to pursue unity with those of like precious faith, but that last statement is the caveat that's got to be there. All too often today, it's all about, let's just be unified and we don't really care about all the details of what we believe. That's of the devil, that's not of God. That's not God's unity. 
Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And without holiness, you can't know the Lord. So if we're not true to what his word has said, we can't be united with, uh, with those who are. Or put it the other way, if we are true to what his word says, we can't be united. It doesn't mean we can't be friendly and can't talk and we can't witness and we can't do all those other things. But it does, it does mean that we're not one if we're not believing in the same Christ. Bottom line. He will affect the rise and fall of many. But that kind of exclusivity, that kind of, dare I use the word, discrimination between who are Christ and who are not, that is, Simeon says, that's going to be spoken against. Luke chapter 2. He is, for, he is a sign that is opposed. I mean, those who are chosen of God will acknowledge him. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, the Pharisees are talking about how all, you know, hey, God is our Father, you know, we don't know where you come from, but God is our Father. And Jesus said, if God was your Father, you would believe in me for the works that I do, the words that I say are consistent with who God is. But because uh, you're actually of your father, the devil, the works of your father you will do, you're not believing in me, and indeed you want to kill me. Those who are chosen of God will acknowledge him. But in this opposition, and here, again, parents, particularly moms, you think through the ministry, earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. You know, after a while, not too long into this narrative, Joseph kind of goes off the scene. We don't hear anything more about him. Most, most theologians, commentators have the understanding that at some point, Joseph, who was an older man, uh, for whatever reason, passed away through injury or illness or just old age. But he was not on the scene. So Mary is the one who's going to be carrying this through uh, the ministry of the Lord Jesus as an adult. And Simeon says to her, a sword is going to pierce through your own soul also. She would be sorely tried. Uh, anybody ever witness to somebody here? Anybody, any of you here witness to somebody? and been utterly rejected. As convinced as you are of who the Lord Jesus is. People want to do their own thing. They want their own Messiah. They want their own God and they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear that this is the only way. They'll find all their kinds of things to believe in. But think about some of the trials of Mary who knows all these things, who's heard all these things, who's, who's received the witness and believes it and has from the beginning. Family and friends would reject him at Nazareth. Do you think that had an impact upon Mary's, Mary's heart? I expect so. He was a prophet who was not accepted in his own country. People were trying to kill him. There were even things that the Lord Jesus said to help remind her that this is not just about 
uh, about Mary and the, the mom's desire to be mom. You remember when uh, he was uh, in the middle of ministering and his mother and brethren came and they wanted to speak to him. Basically, they were trying to get him out of the limelight because I think they were concerned for him, either that or they thought maybe he was losing it. It's not really clear. And people come up to him and say, hey, your, your, your mother and your brethren are outside. And you remember what Jesus said? Who are my mothers? Who's my mother and who's my brothers? From a mom's standpoint, would that kind of stab you in the heart a little bit? And yet Mary needed to be reminded, even in this process, that um, uh, contrary to those in the Roman papal system, uh, calling her the queen of heaven and the mother of God is not appropriate. Mary is going to be sorely tried through all this. And yet, um, as Jesus would say in Luke 20, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Simeon knew Jesus would be opposed. And he knew that the pride of his brethren would drive them to reject their Messiah. They didn't want their place taken. They didn't want their imagination of who they were uh, in relationship to the rest of the world. They didn't want that, uh, that image shaken in their minds. And so they spoke against him, called him a blasphemer, declared he had a devil. These are not easy words, which tells us that sometimes our witness um, needs to be firm. And needs to include, include the whole truth about who Christ is. It's easy to want to sugarcoat things to get people to listen to you. And there are certainly sweet things about the Lord that are well worth sharing and ought to be shared. But we need to give the whole picture. He's not just a God of love. He's also a God of wrath. A God of justice. A holy God who will brook no competition in our hearts. And speaking of our hearts, Simeon says, perhaps the most, uh, the biggest reason why the world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. The end of verse 35. This opposition, this watershed person is being given so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Christ's ministry and person is revealing the true thoughts of men. What you think of Jesus Christ is the issue, dear friends. There are many, many other things that are important and vital to think about. But at the end of the day, what you think of Christ is the difference between life and death. Isaiah says in verse 8, or chapter 8, verses 13 through 15, But Yahweh of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. 
and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Because we can convince ourselves, can we not, about how righteous we are, about how safe we are, because we've done this, that, or the other, or we said this, that, or the other, or whatever. But our thoughts concerning Christ are uh, not only in error, but in rebellion. Mm -hmm. Paul would say in Romans chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, if they actually followed it, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. And so they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. When you are confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll be revealed what you truly think of him and what you truly think of yourself. And that makes all the difference as to whether or not you may rightly claim that you are a follower of him. So, as we wrap up, the Spirit of God functions as a witness directly in our own hearts, of course, to whether we are his or not. But he also leads and anoints the lips of chosen serpents to proclaim God's glorious salvation. Our Lord leaves nothing to chance. Those who were watching in Jesus' day could see the signs as God willed. And today, the signs are still there, they're still apparent, they're still readily available, and they're still being proclaimed by, the, by those average men of Jerusalem that the Spirit of God anoints to declare. Are you waiting to see your comforter? Are you waiting to embrace your Redeemer? You don't need to wait any longer because He's here. Observe the signs that God has given. And then... Think, what should I do when God reveals to me who the sent one is through his word? I'll tell you what you do. You follow Simeon's example. Be sensitive to the leading and filling of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for his faithfulness. Humbly bow before the ministry of the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And rejoice that God sent a witness to your heart and mind to draw you to himself. The witness of the word, the witness of a brother or sister in Christ, pastor, 
whatever. However the Lord led to bring you to him. Rejoice in that. Be thankful that he's not left us in the dark. Truly, our eyes have seen the salvation of our hearts and indeed a people of the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that who he is is clear. Who he is has been declared. It's not in the dark. Oh, there are many that walk in rebellion and opposition to him. Lord, we thank you that you have drawn your people out of darkness and into your light. Lord, we know that those who are in opposition to you love darkness. But Lord, grant us that we would love light and your glory. And as we see it in the Lord Jesus, strengthen our faith in the one to whom, whom to know aright is eternal life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.